Praise God. My name is Pastor Lewis Roman. I'm the location pastor here at New Life Montclair. And uh, as Anthony said, we are happy, uh, ecstatic that you have chosen this Sunday to be here with us. We thank you all who are watching us online. Also, as Anthony said, all these announcements that you saw on the screen, men's retreat, women's retreat, the mental uh, health workshop tonight, uh, you can go online to our website. There's links underneath all of them under events. And you can get automatically signed in that way. Gone are the days when we had tents, in, or not tents, but boots in the back where we're writing everybody by hand and collecting checks and money and all that type of stuff. It's all done electronically and super, super, super quick. Amen? As uh, uh, Anthony didn't mention this, but actually this is going to be uh, my last Sunday here with you for a few weeks. I'm not leaving New Life Mount Claire, but just for a few weeks. Um, as I mentioned last week, during the sermon, I'm having... Uh, some surgery in my spine tomorrow uh, afternoon, actually. I've been dealing with some issues since August, uh, and the time has come to finally go ahead and take care of that. So, But you guys are going to be left in great, great hands. So that's not an excuse. You know how they say when the mice, what is it? When the cat's away, the mice play. There's eyes on you. Uh, and also, I have done a great job in lining up some new life pastors uh, to come here uh, for the next few weeks and give you guys the word of God. Pastor Tom Fitzmorris will be here from, from New Life Norwich. You guys got, had the privilege of meeting him back when I w was sick uh, in the end of last year. Pastor Don Kaufman from New Life Oaklawn is going to be here. So it's time for me to call up my boys and bring them out to go on ahead and give you guys the word of God. Amen. Plus, it's, you get to hear a different voice uh, from a new life. So I'm excited for that. So make sure you guys give them warm welcome and make sure that... Uh, uh, you guys are ready to receive. We'll actually be going through a new series titled Parables. They're going to be the parables of Jesus. It's going to lead us all the way into uh, close to the Easter season. Then we'll get into an Easter sermon series there. So I love parables. Actually, I, I, you know, it's, I'm, I was a little disappointed that I'm going to be missing a lot of these sermons. Uh, but praise God uh, that you guys are going to grow. You're going to learn. Uh, and so just be ready. Amen. Praise God. Well, let's go on ahead and let's jump in right away into concluding our series that I started here. This series is only being taught here at this location because we're in a prophetic pause, which means all of our locations, 26 plus locations, are, have the opportunity to preach whatever it is that God is placing in their hearts. And so we have been going through a series that I have titled, When Satan Shows Up. And I pray that, uh, how many people have been blessed with this series so far? Amen? <laughs> Praise God. The, the goal behind this series is, to, is for us to understand that we are actually, this is going back and forth, driving me crazy, that, that we're actually in a very real spiritual battle. That we are not preaching a series titled When the Devil Shows Up to Glorify Him, but what we're doing is we're trying to teach the saints of Jesus Christ who our enemy is, what are some of the tactics that he uses, and how it is that we can see his strategies to better allow us to be able to be victorious in many of these battles. We're in a spiritual war. So in other words, like we mentioned last week, what you see with your eyes as I see you and you see me, that is not all that there is. There's a physical world and the Bible teaches us that there is a very real spiritual world. We looked at that a little bit a couple weeks ago. And we go back to the Apostle Paul 
in which where he says that that the battle in which we fight, the battle in which we are in, we do not fight against flesh and blood. But we are in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual battle against forces of darkness. And so we have a real, real enemy, and his name is Satan. And we talked about how, how, how Satan hates God. And because we are his children, because we are children of God, because we are ought to be after his heart, and because he obviously loves us, he hates us as well. He's called Lucifer. The Bible calls him the prince of darkness, calls him the evil one, the, the father of lies, the destroyer, the accusers, and many, many other names are used to describe Satan. And his mission is to come against the people of God. And that's why Peter says in the first book of Peter, chapter 5, verse 8, he says this. He says, stay alert, is what he says. In other words, what Peter is saying, hey, make sure that you are staying on guard. Be on your guard. Why? He says here, watch out for your enemy, the devil, because he prowls around you like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Place that image in your mind. Satan is like a lion. If you've ever watched the Discovery Channel uh, or anything of that sort, you, you see when a lion is beginning and he's hunting, right? He just doesn't show up. He's hunting his prey. He's prowling around his prey. And he's hiding. He's ready. He's waiting. What is he waiting for? He's waiting for the prey to be vulnerable so he can go on ahead and attack. And that is what the Bible tells us that Satan does. He's looking. He's prowling around you in this very real spiritual world trying to see when is it that I can attack him? When is it that I can attack and devour her? But the beautiful thing is that according to Jesus, he came on a mission. Jesus Christ, the good thing is, he comes. His mission is to come and to bring us life. And to bring life what? More abundantly is what the Bible tells us. Jesus also said that the evil one, that Satan, what has he, done, uh, what has he come to do? He's come to steal, he's come to kill, and he's come to destroy. So we see right off the bat, the word of God tells us that Satan is like a lion. He's, he's, he's going around us, waiting to what? Devour us. Jesus says that his mission is to come to steal, to kill, and to destroy us. You see, what Satan wants to do is this, church. Satan, he wants to steal your joy. Satan, he wants to kill your peace. Satan wants to destroy your contentment. He will attack you every single day, church. He's going to attack your finances. We've talked about that. He's going to attack your friendships. He's going to attack your, your body. He's going to attack your marriage. He's going to attack your spiritual life. Satan, church, there's no newsflash here. He's on attack. He's trying to rob people of the blessings in which God has destined for his sons and his daughters. And so in, in this message series, We've been looking at some of the metaphors or, or some of the images in which we try to understand his strategy so that we can better plan to, to, to defeat him and whatever it is that he's trying to do against us. Just like 
any great army is going to look at the enemy and they're going to study what are his strategies. Strategy, just because you know someone's strategy doesn't mean that you can defeat them, but it gives you a better opportunity to defend yourself. Week one in this series, we talked about Jesus, or not Jesus, but Satan being the deceiver. We talked about how he's a deceiver who attacks your mind with lies. Do you remember when he goes to Eve in the garden? He says, did God really say that? Last week, we looked at Satan as being the accuser. How he is the accuser who targets your heart with accusation. How he tells you, hey, you can do that. It doesn't matter what they say. Hey, you can do that because this is your life anyway. And then when you fall into the trap of that sin, he begins to accuse you. Ah, you are no good. God can't use you. You're filthy. You're dirty. You remember that? This week, however, is one that I think and I believe is very, very important and maybe even difficult. And it's going to be even a little challenging to hear. But Satan, we're going to be focusing on him today as being the destroyer. The destroyer who attacks or targets your will with pride. I used to think that the devil would go on ahead and attack you only when you were down. I used to think that he would only attack you when you were weak, right? We've heard that a lot. Man, Satan, he'll come when you're weak and you're down and you're vulnerable and he'll go on ahead and he'll attack you. But after studying and learning and praying, I've also learned that Satan loves to attack you also when you're strong. Did you know that? And when things are going well, he likes to attack. Some of you right now, you may be saying, hey, man, I'm in a good season right now. And you may be thinking, man, everything is good. Everything is going well. So I guess I don't have to worry too much about Satan attacking me in this area. That may be the time in reality that you are most vulnerable. Because when you're least aware, that's when you become more vulnerable. When you're least on alert not realizing that your enemy just might be attacking. That's when he often does come in during this time, not only just to kick you while you're down, but it'll attack you. He'll attack you also when things are going well. In fact, what I want to do today is I want to take you to the Old Testament to share with you a little bit of a story that many of us may not be too familiar with. It's actually about a time when Satan poised a very strategic attack against King David. Now, one thing that I want to mention to you is that Satan doesn't attack David when he was discouraged. See, as I say this, many of you guys are probably thinking, oh, he's got to be talking about that time when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. But that's not what I'm going to talk to you about today. I'll mention it, but that's not what I'm going to be focusing on. He doesn't attack David when he was discouraged, but instead... Satan attacks David at the height of his power, at the height of his popularity. And if you don't know about the rise of, of David's story, let me just give you a real, very, very quick uh, backdrop on it. He was just an ordinary little shepherd boy who was tending to the sheep. And one day uh, his father says, hey, I need, a, I need you to go check up on your brothers and the war that they're having against the Philistines. And so David goes on ahead and he shows up. And what he sees is he finds that his brothers and his, and, and his country, what, what, what they're doing is they're afraid of, of, this, of, of the Philistines and this giant whose name is Goliath. 
David, being a man, a young man who, who really loved God, he looks at this giant, he looks at his people who are quivering in fear. He says, man, you guys are afraid of this guy? You guys are afraid of this giant man? Do you not know that God is on our side? Do you know that, that, that with God on my side, not by strength or anything, but by the strength of God, we can defeat him? And David goes on ahead, and we know how the story ends. He grabs that rock with that sling, flings it, hits Goliath right in the forehead, and knocks him out cold. Well, then this little boy, this young man, ends up taking and killing Goliath. And at that point, man, he's kind of become an overnight story. You know, if it was modern time, he, he, he would have blown up all over social media. Everybody's saying, man, who is this guy? Where did he come from? And as you go a little bit further along the story, we see that eventually he, David, is anointed as the king of Israel. And he rises to the height of power. He's known as a war hero. Everyone knows that if David went out with the tribes to fight, they would come back victorious. He was so popular, I want you to imagine this, women would actually write songs about David. And they would gather in the streets and they would start to sing these songs. Now, my wife Barb has yet to write a song about me, about my power, about my strength, about my glory. But who knows, maybe one day when I drive home, I'll pull up into the driveway, she'll be standing there with some lyrics declaring her love, declaring her honor, her respect for my godliness, and anything else that turns around that she can sing about. You guys think that'll happen? Those of you that know her well, probably not. Wishful thinking, dreams, you know, we can dream. We can dream. However, let me take you back here really quick. They're singing about this guy. I mean, he's at the height of his game, and yet David stumbles. Everything is going good for David. Everyone is giving David the glory. Everyone is, knows that he's good. Israel's in a good spot. Yet David stumbles. Not when he was weak. Not when he was vulnerable. But he stumbles. Why? Catch this. He stumbles because of his pride. In fact, if I went around and I asked each one of you guys or I went out in the streets and I said, hey, what do you think? was David's greatest sin. Like I mentioned, a lot of people will probably say, well, Pastor, his greatest sin was adultery with Bathsheba because that's really what a lot of us know him to be known for. We say, yeah, Goliath, Bathsheba, stuff like that. Maybe some of you or someone outside that's really thinking a little deeper in this, they'll, be, they'll probably say, hey, perhaps, Pastor, the deeper sin was when he murdered Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. That might have been even a bigger sin, right, Pastor? Not only did, did, did David commit adultery, but he had Bathsheba's husband sent to the front lines so that he can be killed in battle, so that the sin could try to be covered up. Perhaps that was a bigger sin. Those are both good answers, but I would argue with you, or I would argue back that if we took a step back and if we actually could look at it and really kind of focus in on it, perhaps a root sin, there was a root sin that led to the adultery and eventually led to murder. So in fact, probably his biggest struggle 
along with so many of us, was his battle with the roots of pride. Think about this, because of David's adultery, when you really start to read the story, it led to four people indirectly dying. The Bible shows us, if you know the story, the little baby died, Ammon died, Absalom dies, and of course, he has Uriah killed. Four people died, but because of David's sin of pride, 70,000 people were actually killed because of the filthy, horrendous sin of pride. And you say, man, because of one man's pride, because of one leader's pride, not only four people die here, in, like kind of close to the story, but 70,000 people also die because of that? Well, you tell me, not that we're ranking sins, but adultery or all of these deaths because of pride. See, that's where our enemy often attacks. Not just when we are weak, but also when we're proud. And that's what we've got to be very, very careful with. In your Bibles, in the first book of Chronicles, chapter 21, verse 1, it actually tells us what it is that Satan did and how it is that he attacked David. Scriptures tell us this. In 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 1, it says, it says, Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. What is it that he did? Satan came to David when he was confident. Stay with me here. Satan went to David when he was strong. He went to David when he was victorious, and he incited David to take a census of Israel. Listen, David is, at this time is at the top of his game. David's favorite song on Spotify would have been, We Are the Champions. He's winning his battles, and Satan comes up and he says, Hey, David, you know what? You're pretty powerful, aren't you? I can imagine him going to David and kind of saying, hey, you're pretty amazing. These are the thoughts that maybe David is, or Satan is kind of shooting at, at, at David. You've conquered kingdoms, and now you have all of these people under your command. David, you know what you should do? You should total them all up. You should total, total them all up and just see how strong and how powerful it is that you are. We can't just... Guess about your domination, David, and your strength, David. You should take up a census so that you can count up those that you rule in the kingdom. David, you are mighty. David, you are strong. You are worthy of honor. Just how worthy are you, David? Count the people and see how incredible you are. I can imagine these are the things that the Bible says that, that Satan kind of really pushed David to doing this, that were possibly going through his mind, through his heart, and because of his position, because of his heart that has this pride now, he's starting to give in to it. And some of you guys might say, hey, what, Pastor, I mean, what's really wrong with taking a census? How is it that all these people died from it? The answer is, there's nothing wrong with taking up a census. There was nothing wrong with that. What was wrong with it was, the motive behind the census. If you're taking notes, I want to write you that, write, want you to write this down. And that is that, ma that motive matters to God. 
there could be two things that we do. And both of those things could be good things. But what's behind our actions for doing it, that's what matters. Okay? And I mentioned that because Moses in the Bible, he actually took a census as well, if you're familiar with that story. In fact, Moses, would what, what he would do is he would take every man who was over the age of 20 years old, and he would give them half a shekel, the Bible states. This was known as, an atone, as atonement money or as ransom money. And what he was doing, this is what Moses was doing, he, he was saying that this represented the honor, honor to our God. Moses was saying, he was taking a census as well, but this was his mindset. He says, man, I want to count up and I want to tally the total amount of those that God has rescued and redeemed from bondage. You see, this right here represents giving glory to God because we're seeing how many people God actually set free. It's all about motive. So with Moses, the census goal was to give honor to God. However, with David, the goal was to bring honor to who? To himself. And this was disgusting to the eyes of God. You see, Satan loves to attack you many times when you're full of pride. You see, I can look at my role. As a pastor, my, my role, my main role is to point people to Jesus Christ. But in reality, when people in my role are weak, when they are vulnerable, when they're full of sin, suddenly we want glory like David wanted. And so sometimes some of my fellow pastors may be saying, man, let me tell you how big my church is. Let me tell you how many people I've counted up. And the reality is that in my role, I'm only speaking about in my role, we can really begin to do the very same thing in which David did, and the Bible shows us that that is pretty disgusting to the eyes of God. This was David's issues, and, and others could see it too. That was the thing. You can see someone when they're kind of starting to get a little filled up with pride. This is what was so challenging about it. It was so difficult sometimes to see in the mirror because when we're talking about pride, it's easy for us to see, see that in other people, but it's really hard sometimes to see, hey, maybe I've got a little pride issue myself. Joab, in this story, was a guy who was very loyal to David. He was the commander of David's troops, and he saw it very clearly that David was starting to struggle with pride. This is what 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verses 6 through 7 says. So David says, hey, I need a census. Go on ahead, count all the, everybody, all the tribes and uh, things of that sort. And it says here, Joab didn't include Levi and Benjamin in the numbers. In other words, he says, hey, I'm counting, but I'm going to leave these two guys out. In other words, I'm going to leave these two guys out of this mess in which you're trying to include them all in, David. Why? He continues to say, the king's command was repulsive to him. See, Joab sees this. Joab sees, man, David just wants to count because he wants to see how powerful he is. This is not good. The Bible says, the command was also evil in the sight of God. So what happened? So God punished Israel because of the actions of their leaders. And, I, and if you read through this at home and you read through the story, you see that it is heartbreaking. It's a heartbreaking story, a heart 
heartbreaking story of how 70,000 people ended up dying as a direct result of David's sin of pride. So which was worse? I'm just saying this because it made me think about it the other night. Which was worse, adultery or pride? Well, adultery is pretty bad. But pride is probably what caused it. That's why I call pride the root sin. When he sees and lays eyes on Bathsheba, I can imagine possibly, because remember, Satan is going around us like a lion, waiting to see how to devour us, waiting to see when we go on ahead and we kind of open up the window a little bit for the enemy to attack. I could imagine David as he's up there on that rooftop and he's looking down at Bathsheba taking a bath. I could imagine him saying, man, I'm the king of Israel. Man, I see that girl and she looked good and I want some of that. As a matter of fact, I deserve it. Why? Because I'm the king. You see, when David committed the sin of adultery, this is what eventually he goes on ahead and, and he says to Nathan, who's in this story as well. He's like a, he's like a, you know, the one that that's praying like a priest, prophet for, for the people. He goes to Nathan and he, and he says this. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. But when he committed the sin of pride, he put an objective before it. And he didn't just say, I sinned against the Lord. But now what he says is, I've sinned greatly by doing this. The deadly sin of pride. And so if you're taking notes, here's what I, I hope that you'll understand and you could write this down. And that is that you may never be more vulnerable than when you're full of pride. You may never be more vulnerable than when you are full of pride. You see, some of you here today, you might be vulnerable right now. Because you just don't know that you're full of pride. The reality is that pride creeps in on us. Uzziah was a great man of the Old Testament. He did something pretty, pretty cool. He had this innovation war idea. And because of that, he rose to fame and he rose to power. However, his pride is what took him out. This is what Scripture says about him in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verse 16. You can write these down if you're taking notes and go back and read them at home, says this about Uzziah. But after Uzziah became powerful, what does it say that happened? His pride led to his downfall. You see that? His pride. See, pride, church, can take you out of leadership. I've seen it happen with some, 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 some pastors that, that, that really have really, you know, kind of helped shape me who I've loved to listen to and study, pride has taken them out of leadership. Pride can take away your credibility. Pride can, can hurt your marriage. Pride can hurt your intimacy with God. Pride can hurt your friendships. Pride can lose your credibility in sharing your witness. Listen, pride is what took this brother out. Let me talk to you a little bit more about pride. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18 says this. Pride precedes destruction. An arrogant spirit appears before a fall. See that? So how do we see it? How do we see this, this pride? How, how, how do we see it in the lives that are around us today? How does it manifest itself in ourselves? Well, maybe something just like this. 
in our mind, we start saying, hey, well, I'm so holy, I would never do that. that. Has that crossed your mind? Man, I'm so holy, I would never do what this person did. Fall into the sin that that person fell in. I mean, can you believe she carries herself like that? These are thoughts that you may be going through. This is how sometimes pride manifests itself in ourselves. Can you believe that he walks acting like he's so holy? Man, if people only knew what I know. I know God's word, and I'm in church every weekend. I would never do those things. In fact, we need to pray for him. That's what some people say. But in other words, they're not saying, I'm not going to call it gossip. I'm going to say, I'm going to pray for him. I would never do that. I'm a, I'm a self-made person, man. I mean, I've, 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 got, I've worked and I've earned every single thing that I've got because I've worked so hard for it. I deserve it. See, we start saying these things. We start, what, what's happening? We're putting ourselves in, we're elevating ourselves in a, a pedestal. Well, I know I've probably got a problem, but the reality is I'm not going to tell anybody about it because I got to keep my reputation up. I got to make sure that people think highly of me. It may manifest itself like this. Or you start looking at someone else who's probably trying to call you out on your pride, and you'd be like, hey, who are you to tell me what to do? I'm the one that's doing everything here. It's not my fault. Don't you tell me that this marriage is my fault. It's your fault. It's not my fault. You don't tell me what's my problem. If you look at this and you listen to this, the root behind all of these comments that I'm making, it's pride. Pride, pride, pride. And the reality is, we learn in the Bible that pride is disgusting to God when it comes to this. That we may never be more vulnerable than when we are filled with pride. And so, how does God feel toward pride? I mean, towards the proud. Let me show you how God feels. Jesus, who was the half-brother of, uh, or not Jesus, but James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, he tells us in James chapter 4 this. He says, pretty plain and simple, God opposes the what? The proud. I don't think we got it up there. I'm sorry. God opposes the proud. This is why we got to be very careful with pride in our lives. The Greek word translated for opposes is a military term to bring the full force of an army. Listen to that. God opposes the pride, and the Greek word used for opposes is to bring full force of an army. In other words, if you stand and you say, hey, I deserve the same glory that God deserves, then God has every bit of power poised against you. And this is a place that you don't want to be in. God opposes the proud, but listen to this. It says, but he shows favor to who? The humble. God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Then he says to submit yourself. And this is, this is very, very key. I want you to pay attention. He says to submit yourself. And the Greek word that is translated as submit is actually another military term. It means to voluntarily rank yourself under. To choose submission to the one that ranks higher. You see that? Because as long as you are filled with pride, you're putting yourself above everyone else, possibly even above the Lord. But when you be, be, begin to humble yourself, that means now you are saying, hey, I am underneath someone. And that someone being God. 
when we are, are submitting ourselves, what we're saying is, God, I fully submit to you. And this is what it says. Look again. God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves, meaning rank yourself under, voluntarily submit to God. And then this is what it, what it says. Then resist the devil and he will flee from you. Remember what I told you, church. I taught you this, that for every promise that God gives us, there is action steps that we need to take ourselves so that we can be under alignment of those promises. When you submit to God, what are we seeing? You have the power of God. You have the presence of God. You have the strength of God. After you submit to God, then you can resist the devil. When you submit yourself under the ranks of God, then you can say, hey, devil, you get away from me. You have no place here. You, not, you have no power here. That's what you can say, what we've been saying these last three weeks. Not today, Satan. Not in my house. Not in my family. Not in my finances. Not in the people that I love. You see, you resist the devil, and then he will flee away from you. But why is he fleeing away from you when you resist him? Not because you're strong. It's not because you're mighty. But it's because the power of God that is in you. Why? Because you've submitted yourself under his reign. Because God is stronger than the evil one. When you submit yourself to God, then you have the strength of God. You're able to resist the devil by the power of God. And the Bible tells us that the devil will flee from you. And then he says this. He says, come near to God, and God will come near to you. So what do you do? You don't elevate yourself. But the Bible tells us we need to humble ourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. You will humble yourselves before the Lord when it comes to God. And the Bible says that the evil one, he has to leave. When it comes to heaven and hell, when it comes to light and darkness, when it comes to power and good, when it comes to the forces of evil, listen, the reality is this, church, and that is that there is no middle ground. You don't kind of love God. You don't sort of follow Jesus. The scriptures tell us that friendship with this world is hatred toward God. There's no place in the middle. You have to choose a side. That's the reason why we submit. That's the reason why we need to voluntarily rank ourselves under the authority of God. Because you got to say, hey, Lord Jesus Christ, your word is our guide. Lord Jesus Christ, your spirit is what empowers us. Your will is what we want. God, we submit to you. Then when we submit it to God, then we have the ability to go on ahead and resist the evil one. And he will flee from us. This is a tactic, a strategy that Satan uses. When you think all is good, when you think like you are the cream of the crop, when you think that, man, there's nothing that I need, there's no help that I need, Satan wants to come in and start to fill you up with these lies that will build your pride. But the way we can extinguish that with our shield of faith, extinguishing the fiery darts of the enemy, is that we begin to say, no, I am not above anyone, Lord, I am under you. I submit myself to you. I submit my life to you. You are greater than me. We need to understand, as I mentioned already, 
that you're never more vulnerable than when you're full of pride. Essentially, we are, when we're full of pride, you know what we're doing is we're declaring our independence from God. We're saying, I don't need you, God. Thank you. Man, you've done a good job so far, but God, from this point on, I've got this. I've got this, God. But humility, humility is declaring our complete dependence on God. Humility looks like this. Lord, I need you. Moment by moment, I need you guiding me. I need you directing me. I need your word taking my steps as your path. I need your spirit to comfort me. I need you to convict me. I need you to speak to me. I need you for my next breath. I need you for my next decision. I need you to help me, to teach me how it is that I have to love this person that is difficult for me to love. I need your strength because I am weak. I need you every single moment. You see, when we begin to speak words like that, that is a sign of humility. Relying and saying, I can't depend on myself. Some of you guys that are sitting here today, you know what it feels like to try to do this thing called life on your own power. You try to grow your relationship with Jesus Christ on your own without community, and you have seen that that has not worked. When we humble ourselves, the Bible says that God, what, lifts us up. There's no middle ground. It's all Jesus because he is everything. And so why do you think that God opposes the proud? I want to take you back to our, our, our enemies. Why does he oppose the proud? Why is it that the Bible says that he brings his full forces of everything that he has to oppose those who are proud? Well, it's very likely because way back, and I touched this a little bit in uh, the beginning of our first se- uh, sermon on this series, is that even before the creation of world, Lucifer was one that God loved, battled with, but he, he battled with the root sin of pride. That ended up taking him down, remember? And if you missed it a couple weeks ago, we talked about the reality that we know that God created, at least from what we see according to Scripture, three archangels. These angels being Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer. And Lucifer was a beautiful angel, worshiping God like a worship leader. But he became full of pride, and he wanted to become just like God, and that's why God had to cast him down. What was his big weakness? Pay attention to this. What was Lucifer's big weakness? Where is it that he went wrong? Well, he said again and again, I will, my will, I will, my will. And I'm not going to take you through the exact full scripture here, but if you're taking notes, write this down. Isaiah chapter 14. In Isaiah chapter 14, five different times. Satan, or Lucifer at this time, declares his sovereignty and his will. This is what he says. He says this in one of them, in in Isaiah chapter 14. He says, I will ascend to the heavens. There goes the I will. I will ascend to the heavens. What is that? He's starting to show pride. The next one, he he says, I will raise my throne above the stars. Pride. I will. For the third time, he says, I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly. These are Lucifer's words. 
He says, I will ascend to the top of the clouds. And lastly, he says, I will make myself like the Most High. Who's the Most High? Lord of Lords, King of Kings, Yahweh. I will, I will, I will be richer. I will be better. I will be greater. Lucifer, what was Lucifer? Lucifer was all about himself. Jesus, on the other hand, was all about the glory of God. Lucifer was all about my way. Jesus Christ, while he walked this earth, was all about thy way. In the Garden of of Gethsemane, when, when Jesus, knowing what was ahead of him, you remember that story? Knowing that he was going to give his life He was going to suffer more brutally than any words could describe. And in agony, we see our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there in that garden as drops of blood are being poured from his brow. He he cried out to the Father, to the Daddy. He says, Father, is there any other way that this cup of suffering can be removed from me? You remember that? Then in submission to God, he pretty much said, I voluntarily rank under you. Needless to say, he said, not my will, though. Remember that? He says, but your will. May the Lord, Father, please remove this cup that I may not suffer like this. But God, Father, Abba, let your will be done, not mine. Now, that is submission. That is humility. At that point, many of us will be thinking about ourselves. Oh, for me. In this case, Jesus says, Lord, if this is what has to happen, let it be done. It's not about me. I'm here to glorify you. It's not about my importance. It's about your kingdom. It's not about my popularity. It's about your sovereignty. It's not about my wishes. It's about your will. Not my will, but your will be done. You see, humility, I want you to understand it because sometimes society teaches us that humility is a sign of weakness, and it's not. Humility is not weakness because the Bible tells us that when we humble ourselves, then you will have the strength of God. You see that? I'd rather, I'd rather have the strength of God on myself and be humble any day than feel like I'm so full of pride on myself in this world and have everything but yet not have him. You are never, ever weaker than when you're full of pride. And you're never, ever stronger than when you are humbled before God. Because when you submit to God, the Bible tells us he fills you with his presence. Then you have the power to say, I resist you, you evil one. You have no business here. Get behind me. Not in my house. Not in my family. You see? It's the power of Christ that is dwelling within me. See, church, we have to understand that we are in a spiritual battle. It is not, well, if I get under attack, the, the reality is if you are a, a son or daughter of Jesus Christ, if you have accepted him in your heart as your Lord and personal Savior, then you are on God's side. You are on God's army. And Satan has been trying to attack that army since the very beginning of time. And he's going to do all that he can do. Just as Satan went out ahead and took down when he was cast down a third of the heavens with him, He knows that his time is coming where he will be casted into the lake of fire with hell itself, and he's trying to take as many out of it with him as he can once again. 
That's where we have to submit to our Lord. How do we fight back? The last few weeks, I've kind of talked to you about different ways to defeat the enemy in these areas when he's trying to deceive us or when he's trying to accuse us. But listen, again, how do we fight back? I've talked to you guys about this for the last three weeks now, that you have something that the people of this world don't have. You have something that, 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 that Satan himself doesn't have, and that is the armor of God. Apostle Paul tells us that we have the helmet of salvation, that you have the breastplate of righteousness, He tells you that you have the shield of faith, which you can quench the fiery darts of the evil one. Apostle Paul tells us that you have the belt of truth, and you know that the truth will set you free. You have the shoes prepared with the gospel for the readiness of peace. And then you have that one offensive weapon that I've talked to you about. That one offensive weapon, which is the only weapon you need. And that's called the sword of the spirit. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, which the Bible describes to us being sharper than any double-edged sword, that it is alive, it is active, it is a light unto my feet, and it is a light unto my path. It is full of power. The Bible shows us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh. In the person of Jesus who dwelt among us. We fight, church, with the word. If you don't have the word with you, if you're not reading the word, if you're not absorbing the word, if you're not learning the word, then you are just in the middle of a battle playing defense, defense, defense. Defense only gets you so far. You've got to fight. You've got to move forward. You've got to score some points. Whenever the, the devil attacks our pride, when he starts trying to Speaking to your mind, hey, you've got it going on. You don't need anybody's help. You can do it all by yourself. You're pretty important. I mean, look at you. And sometimes we can start thinking these things. You've got the shoes. You've got the purse. You've got the house. You've got the car. Man, you've got the name. Hey, don't let anybody else know that you're hurting. Don't let anybody else see what it is that you are going to do. Who are they? It's not their problem, man. It's, 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 it's your problem. Don't, you don't need anybody else. You don't, you don't need a church, man. You just can keep doing this thing on your own. You don't need other people. It's all about you. They need to show you more respect, man. You're the one that are holding this whole thing together. You're the one that gets things all done. But that's when those lies are coming to our minds, and that's where we need to stand up firm as the son and daughters of Jesus Christ and say, no, Satan, not today. You're not going to infiltrate my mind with those thoughts that are going to try to build roots of pride in me. That's what we need to say and start to fight back with the word of God, with the spirit of God, and start using some I will scriptures at us. I will humble myself before the Lord, and he will lift me up in due time. That's how we fight back. Or you start to say, you start to speak to God when you're starting being tempted in these areas and say, because I am called by your name, I will humble myself. I will pray, and I will seek your face, and heaven will hear my prayers. And you will forgive my sins, and you will heal my land. These are scriptures that I'm taking, and what I'm doing is I'm just using them to fight. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, 
For you alone are good. Your mercies endure forever. You are my God. Earnestly I will seek you. My soul belongs to you in a dry and leery land because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live because your mercies endure forever. Not to us, but to your name be the glory. Because of your goodness, because of your faithfulness for generations and generations to come. When somebody comes and says, oh man, that was great. That was an amazing word that you gave. No, all glory be to God because they're his words that I'm just using. Less of me, more of you. When they went out ahead and told John the Baptist, man, everyone's following Jesus. You know, everyone's following him. What are we going to do? And Jesus is, you know, they're baptizing all these people. That was a moment right there where John the Baptist could have let pride overtake him. But what he said is what? He says, man, it's okay because he must become more so that I can become less. What did he say when the enemy tried to tempt him with building, uh, building up his pride? He says, no, he is the one that I am doing this for. Because of who you are, we've got to say to God, I voluntarily submit to your lordship. Why? Because, God, you are the king. You are the king of kings. You are the Lord of lords. Because you are the alpha and the omega. You are the beginning and the end. You are the first and you are the last. The soon returning, conquering king of kings. Who comes with a sword coming out of his mouth declaring your word. These are things that we have to say, and we get it by reading the word of God. We begin to absorb it, and now we begin to say it. When Satan comes and tries to attack, we fight back with his word. We can begin to say, God, I serve you. I humble myself before you because you are righteous, because you are the one that is true. Because mortal man cannot look upon you in your purest essence and live because you are my redeemer. Because you are my savior, because you are my friend, because you are my rock, because you are my righteousness, you are my salvation, because you sent your son to do for me, to do for me what I could not do for myself. He gave his life up for me so that I can have a life and I can have a life more abundantly. And because the devil is a liar, because he's the father of lies, he comes to steal to kill and destroy, but Jesus Christ is greater. We need to understand that. We need to allow that to register into our mind and say, yeah, Satan, you may come with everything that you've got, but I come with the spirit, with the power of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, on my side. He is powerful because greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Because of that, I will submit to God. I would not submit to, 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 to what this world tells me to submit to. I will not submit to my own pride. I will submit to God. I will remove myself from the driver's seat of my life. I will sit in the back seat. I will hand him the keys and allow him to drive me where he wants to take me. I submit to God. I resist the devil, and he will flee. These are things, church, 
everything that I've just said to you. I've taken scriptures. I'm trying to teach you. I'm trying to instruct you. You read the word of God. Whatever situation it is that you feel like you're being attacked, begin to study. You can even Google up where, what are Bible verses that, that talk about, about stress, the Bible verses that, that, that hit towards anxiety. Whatever the case is, look up those Bible verses. Begin to read them. Begin to memorize them. Memorize them now in your own words so that when Satan comes and tries to kick you or throw these fiery darts towards you in these areas, you can fight back. You are sons and daughters of a true king. You are sons and daughters of the one who created everything. The one that told the waters how far it can come. The one that set the stars up. The one that knows how many hairs are in the top of your head. You are his son. You are his daughter. And he loves you so much that he knows there's an adversary that's trying to come against you. He loves you so much that he has provided you all the tools that you need so that you can be successful. He's given you the one thing. The one thing that you need to fight. And that is his word. Don't just take the word of God as being something that encourages you. Take it as a, a deadly weapon that is at your disposal. Because when someone comes in your house, like I talked to you guys that first week, and is breaking into your house, you don't stay in your room and hope that they don't go down the, the hallway to your children's room. No, when someone breaks in and you feel threatened, you stand up and you give it all you got. This thing that you have called life, this moment that we have here today, together, church, God has equipped us so that we cannot live in bondage, so that we cannot live in fear, so that we cannot live just sitting down, but so that we can be on the offense, so that we can fight and we can be victorious. Because God has a destiny plan for each and every single one of you here today, whether you believe it or not. You have a, he has a plan for your life. Bible says that before you were in the womb of your mother, God destined you. He had a plan. He knew exactly what it was that he wanted you to do for his kingdom. What happens is Satan comes and he sees us and he attacks us where we're vulnerable. He attacks us where we're weak. And all the while he continues to attack us, we continue to stay in the same spot and we are not progressing towards what it is that God has called us to do. We love Lord, the Lord. We have him in our life. But we're not doing what he's called us to do completely. Sometimes that feels like, man, I just feel like I'm trapped, like I'm stuck, like, man, what am I doing? But, but that's when you got to step back and say, God, is there anything in my life where I'm struggling? And begin to fight with the word of God. Begin to fight with his word, man. I, I challenge you that if you would do this, you would see a significant difference in your life, in your spiritual life. Now, that's not to say that the battles get any easier. No, that just means that now you're more... You know, where before it was hard for you to carry that sword, now you're swinging it around and, you, you know, you're looking like you're Ninja Turtles or something. Use it. Use it. And I told you that, you know, whenever we talk about the strategies, strategies of the enemy, you know, sometimes we start seeing these attacks in our personal lives. But don't let that hold you back. You're worth it. Your life depends on the word of God, you knowing the word of God. Your family's salvation depends on you knowing and understanding the word of God. These friends and families that don't know Jesus Christ, they, the, the word, you knowing the, the, the word of God and sharing that, that depends on their salvation. 
We're in a spiritual battle. And with this, I'm going to close this. And the reality is this, that I want you to understand this, is that by ourselves, we don't have what it takes to win this battle on our own. Absolutely not. We will get slaughtered in a second. That's why you're never stronger than when you're humble, when you're broken, when you're dependent on him. You see, we may think, man, broken, uh, humble, but pastor, how am I strong? Because we're, we're, we're submitting under God. And because we're submitting, under, we're submitting ourselves under him, he raises the humble, right? He strengthens us. Because when you're weak, that's when he's strong. Well, the Bible tells us that when we're weak, when we're broken before him, that we are made strong in him. Why? Because at that point, you know, we're, we're, we've stopped fighting. Have you ever tried to control somebody and they're just fighting and there's no way that you can control them? There's no way you can sit them down. Why? Because they're so strong and they're moving around so much. Well, what's happening, spiritually speaking, as long as we're fighting against the will of God, what's happening is God can't control us. God can't use us to do what he wants to do. So what he does is he waits for you to stop fighting, to humble yourself and say, okay, God, now you can take over. And when that happens, God begins to stir. And so if you're telling me that when I humble myself before God, when I'm broken before him, when I'm weak, that's when he's made strong, then my word to you is this, church, be weak today before God. Be broken today. Be courageous enough to ask for help. Call on the name of Jesus Christ. Because you don't have what it takes to win this battle on your own. You're not good enough by yourself. You're not strong enough. And I tell you this not to put you down, but the reality is that you weren't designed to do this on your own. You were designed to need you were designed to need his help. You were designed, as the Bible says, two or three gathered together in his name. There he is in the midst of us. We gather together to glorify him. He is our righteousness. He is our redeemer. You're never more vulnerable than when you are full of pride. And you're never, ever stronger than when you've broken, when you're broken before God. Amen? I'm going to ask that you rise to your feet. I want you to close your eyes right where you are at. And I want you to go before God. Speak to him right here. And I want what I want you to do, and I want you to, you hear me say this enough, hopefully you do this on your own. You ask God, God, reveal in me, as the psalmist said, search my heart, O oh Lord. Search my heart, because sometimes, the, sometimes we don't see the pride in us. We don't. We see it in everybody else. We don't see it in me. You don't see it in yourself. Maybe if you ask your spouse or someone close enough to you, they say, yeah, you kind of battle a little bit with this. But go before God. Say, God, search my heart. Lord, is there any pride in my heart? That's the difference to be proud of who you are, to be proud to be a son and daughter of the Lord and Savior, to be proud of your children and their accomplishments. But there's a difference between a pride in which you you place yourself above others and things. And you depend on your own self. You ask God, if this is an area 
And this is an area that, we will, that maybe you didn't even realize since his age. And you might be saying, man, I'm under attack. I'm under attack in this area because I have thought this way. I have felt this way. Lord, shut this down. Father God, give me the words, Lord. Let me humble myself to you. Let me submit myself to you, God. Speak to him. My prayer this morning is that as in these last three weeks, we have seen the different strategies in which the enemy uses towards the children of God. You would uh, have a little better understanding of, of his strategies, of his tricks, of, of what it is that he tries to do, of, of who he is. But most importantly, my hope is that you would have learned that what you have at your disposal when used can extinguish anything that is thrown toward you. That you would learn, church, when certain situations are happening in your life, that you would learn to say, Lord, Lord, is this just something that, that, that I've done, or, or am I under attack? Is this something, is this a, an, an attack from the enemy? Because when something is an attack of the enemy, there's nothing else in this world that can help it but the word of God. There's nothing else that can, that can, can, that can fight back than you submitting yourself before God. We've learned to do that. Father God, we come before you this morning. We love you. We praise you, Father God. Lord, let us be a church that comes humbly before you, God. Lord, let us be a church that checks our eagles, Lord, Father God, at the door, Father God. Lord, that we would be a church, Father God, Lord, that would come before you and understanding and knowing, God, that we are imperfect. That this building is not a place for people that are perfect, Lord. That this building is for a place, Lord Jesus, for people, Lord, that are hurt, people that are struggling, people that are falling, Father God. People that don't have it all together, God. People that are in search of someone that does, and that is you. And so I pray, Lord, that we would humble ourselves in every area of our lives. That we would humble ourselves in our finances. Humble ourselves, Father God, Lord, within our families, in our marriages. That we would humble ourselves, Father God. That we would submit to you, God, in every area of our lives. That we would say, Lord, you hold the key. You lead me, God. You show me. You give me the direction. Let your will be done, not mine. As I say that, I just thought, just what comes to my mind is that's where a lot of us struggle. That's where a lot of us struggle with, with saying, Lord, your will and not mine. Many of us are okay with the promises. Many of us are, are we're, we're good with how God says he'll come and fight for us. But many of us, what we struggle is in the area of your will being done not mine. Why? Why is it such a struggle? Could it be because we're pride? Could it be because, no, but, but this is what I want? This is what, how I want my life to look like? Because I have been working so hard for this. I have moved up the ranks in my company so I can be here. Your will, Father God. I pray that you would give us the strength Lord, that you would give us the understanding. That you would show us, Father God, the importance of allowing your will to be done in our lives. It might not look 
the way we thought it would. It may not feel the way we thought it would feel. But Lord, we trust in you. The Lord of lords, we trust in you, the promise keeper. We trust in you, the God who, who, who watches over us. We trust in you, our provider, that when we ask that your will we, will be done in our lives, that no matter what comes, Lord, we trust that you are right beside us. You know what's better for us more than we do. So, Father, we praise you. We love you. And we worship you, God. I pray that your church would take your word and absorb it in their heart, Lord. And that they would grow more passionate about you and the purpose in which you've called us for. Church, I leave you with this blessing. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you all. May the Lord be gracious unto you. And may the Lord give you peace in Jesus Christ. Holy, mighty name, the church army of God says amen. Amen and amen. God bless you, church. We love you. Remember, if you're part of the New Life Plus, our final classes today, we've got some food and uh, a final lesson downstairs. See you in a few. Your blood.